Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus summoned the twelve and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither walking stick nor sack nor food nor money, and let no one take a second tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. And as for those who do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake the dust from your feet in testimony against them. Then they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and curing diseases everywhere. The Gospel of the Lord. So I've got three, uh, I guess, three thoughts that kept coming to my mind this morning, each about one of the readings that we have, some exquisite readings. So first from Ezra, uh, I want to encourage you to go back and reread this reading from the book of Ezra. He reads like a prophet decrying the issues of our day. He reads like a contemporary. It's a prophet of our time. So he was writing at a time when, or prophesying at a time when uh, the Israelites had gone into exile from the Babylonians. The people had been scattered. Jerusalem had been destroyed. All of those things. Um, the people were looking for hope. And Ezra was making, trying to make sense of the calamity that the Lord allowed to befall his chosen people, right? Why does the Lord allow calamity and chaos to befall those he loves? It's medicinal. It's the only wake-up call that the Lord could use for his people. There's a great line that Billy Graham spoke a long time ago about our own nation and the struggles that we were beginning to face. He said, if the Lord does not chastise America for abortion, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Like our wicked deeds, Ezra says, our, wick, our wicked deeds, not their wicked deeds, our wicked deeds are heaped up above our heads. We have chosen this path of lawlessness. We've chosen this path of evil. We've chosen this path of self-destruction. And the only way the Lord could wake them up, that he can wake us up, is to allow these things to befall them. It's the same logic that holds the same reason why the Lord permits someone to experience uh, demonic possession. I know this is a lot for 8 o'clock in the morning, but this is the same logic. The reason why the Lord allows someone in his permissive will, that he allows someone to experience that, to undergo that horror, it's as if he, he, the Lord is trying to say, okay, the consequences of what you're doing, if you're going to continue to do what you're doing, the activities you're involved with, the way of life that you're living, it's going to destroy you. And I don't know how else to wake you up. I don't know how else 
to help you see that this path that you're on is a path, path, path structure. It's not just simply that I'm like personally offended as your creator and Lord. It's a heartbroken God who wants his children back, who wants to see humanity flourish. And he's saying, I don't know how else to wake you up. I don't know how else to wake you up. You look at the story of salvation history, it's not just individuals who are chastised. It is nations who are chastised. It's my first thought. Here's my second thought from the responsorial psalm that we just heard. This response doesn't come from the psalms, actually. It comes from the book of Tobit. There's a line here in particular I want to draw our attention to. It says this, Praise Him, you children of Israel, before the Gentiles. For though He has scattered you among them, He has shown you His greatness even there. Praise Him, you children of Israel, before the Gentiles. For though He has scattered you among them, He has shown you His greatness even there. Again, the scattered children of Israel not living in the promised land, the Babylonian exile, all of that. And where are they living now? They're living in and amongst Gentiles, non-Jews, the people who are not the chosen people, people who are not in relationship with the Lord. And the Lord's command to His chosen people is to praise Him before the Gentiles, in the presence of the Gentiles. And there, even in that place of desperation, that place, that's where the Lord's power and greatness will even be the, even then be shown. You know, we've experienced over the last decade, decade and a half, this growing push for privatization of religion in our own country, right? The whole notion of separation of church and state, which is not found in any of, it's not found in the Constitution, it's not found in the Bill of Rights, it's a letter from Thomas Jefferson, you know this, but the privatization of, of um, religion, the pushing of religion out of the public square, having our faith become more and more a private hobby that we do kind of hidden on Sundays out of the view of the public. The Lord is saying, no, no, no. Praise the Lord in the presence of the Gentiles. In other words, our worship, our relationship with the Lord is meant to be, it's not meant to be a hidden private thing. It's, it's meant to be more and more um, public. That's the point. That's the point. So especially in these circumstances where we are experiencing this pressing in from the outside cultural influences, there is the temptation, the greatest temptation in our age in an age uh, that we're going through, the greatest temptation is that of cowardice. It's the greatest temptation to hide, to hide the truth, to hide our faith, all of those things. So finally from the gospel, third thought, Jesus here, he's sending out his disciples. I've always been so struck by how the Lord gives his instructions, the travel instructions for the apostles, how he equips them for ministry, how he equips them as he sends them out. You know, one might imagine uh, a, a religious leader, a leader helping his emissaries pack provisions for their journeys, giving them maps or giving them, here's some extra bread, here's an extra cloak, here's some extra walking sticks, uh, here's some beef jerky sticks. I don't know what he's going to do. 
But you can imagine them preparing for the journey by taking on all these things. But Jesus does the exact opposite. It's like he deliberately strips them down. It's like he deliberately makes them poor and desperate and needy. Like a naked neediness is how he sends them out. Because only in that posture is he able to to position them into the right relationship with his father. Only in that posture of naked neediness will they be brought to a place of total dependence on the father. And that's the point. Like that right there, that is how we fight this cultural battle, this onslaught of the principalities and the powers that we fight not by fighting fire with fire. We fight by becoming less self-sufficient. We fight in the same way that Jesus fought. Like that is the image of the ultimate warrior wielding the ultimate weapons, unleashing the ultimate weapon of mass destruction, which is mercy and love Naked, pinned to a cross, powerless, utterly submitted to the Father's will, that is the unleashing of glory. That is the sheathing of the greatest sword. If we think that we're going to fight any of this with a weapon other than poverty, like prayer and nakedness and neediness and dependence, then we are so self-deluded. We fight by becoming holy. We fight by becoming radically dependent upon God. A lot for us to ponder this morning. We turn to you, Lord. We ask you to seal more deeply in our hearts the truth that you're speaking to us in your word. Amen.